Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. What's up, everybody, and welcome to The Reluctant Historian. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson, and this is our reluctant historian, Dakota Lawson. Hello, darling. Oh, my. I was, I was, just, I was trying something. I was trying, should I talk the whole, whole podcast? You turned into Cruella DeVille. Hello, darling. Oh, can I turn your puppies into coats? No. Please? <laughs> On this podcast, I'll tell him a story from history, and he'll share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions. So, if you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this podcast is for you. Yeah, I'm not going to do that the whole time. That'd be really hard. I believe that. So, Dakota, on this week's shorty-ish episode, we are talking about Operation Mincemeat. Oh, good. The one that Blade was uh, suggesting. Yeah. Yeah, my friend messaged me and said that he really wanted us to do this one, so I uh, told you about it, and uh, here we are. I'm excited. This sounds weird. I have no idea what this is, but the Operation Mincemeat sounds interesting, but the, at the same time, you said it was about World War Two, Yeah. Right? So, so I'm thinking some sort of torture. I'm thinking it's a torture tactic of some sort. So I, I'm curious to see... I like where your mind is going. Yeah. I'm Not just, because it's right. I just well, like it. Well, I'm just picturing, like, putting people into a meat grinder or something yeah. like that. So... Wait, yeah, as in that's right? No, no, that's what I picture as well. Oh, okay. So I'm curious to see what it is. Right. Uh, so yeah, so thanks, Blade, for the suggestion. And also, Troy and Lexi, here is a, another World War II episode for you. There you go. So sit down, buckle up, and get ready to listen to the history of Operation Mincemeat. by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement and recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. So before we get started, for those of you who weren't with us last week and are rejoining us this week, exciting news, we have our Facebook page up and running. Yes. So you can find us if you Google under the Facebook Google. <laughs> I don't know how you find groups, like if you're like... I guess if we tell them about it, they can find it. But, like, you know, does it show up in people's, like, you might be interested in this group or something? I don't know how Facebook works. I think if you go into the groups and search the name of the group that you're looking yeah. for, you can find it. So, yeah, our group is called the Reluctant Historian Podcast. And and I'm running that shit. And it's... Into the ground. He's doing a... <laughs> I, I'm actually thinking he's doing a really good job. I, I like it. What do you think, listeners? Oh, we, we, we love it. This is, uh, this is five, five stars. This is uh, the best Facebook group I've ever been a part of. Wow. Thank you, listener. Thank you. That was so nice of you. So do we want more Dakota or less Dakota? <laughs> but don't actually tell if, unless it's a positive because I can't take that. <laughs> 
Sotoko, what's your golden nugget? Shang Chi. I knew that was. Gonna I was be like, it. I was thinking about. I'm like, oh shit, I, we don't have. I don't have a golden nugget. But I've also been thinking about this movie all day. Yeah. Uh, we talk about Marvel a lot on this podcast. I feel like, and the new Marvel movie came out. Of course, we saw Black Widow a couple months ago, but that was a prequel set between Civil War and Endgame. This one is the first one. The first real Phase Four movie, right. like like, of course we had in Phase Three after Endgame we had Spider Man Far From Home, but now we actually like we get a new hero, an Asian superhero. Apparently, he's Canadian. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, this movie's fucking all looks. Or sorry, I heard it was fucking awesome. It looks awesome. Um, it has Aquafina in it, which I think she's a big deal i keep hearing about aquafina she was in that uh, crazy rich asians movie and i don't know apparently she's a big deal cool i have no idea who she is i was like a water uh, yeah well yeah i was like well when i was thinking about what her name was i was like something about water then it came to me so are you excited to see this movie i am excited actually yeah yeah I it's, think it'll be cool yeah i think it'll be cool what Go about canadia what it's called Canadia. No, Shang-Chi. I said go Canadia, but like as in like go Canada. <laughs> yeah. Good. <laughs> good one. <laughs> okay. What's your golden nugget? Uh, yeah. I got to go to Regina uh, this past weekend to hang out with the family because I have been abandoned by my husband. Yeah. I went out for a pack of cigarettes and uh, I'm still debating whether I'm coming back or not. Um, he's been working a lot this week i guess um and month a month he's a great boss because a couple of people on his team took some time off and he's just you know picking up the slack so therefore i am a single whammon yes and uh, i don't really talk about my career very, very often listeners but and i won't talk much about it but i'm the boss at my work he is i have power a boss bitch yes i'm a boss ass bitch and some may think that it's dangerous to go and give Dakota power. And those people would be right. <laughs> yeah, so I was just in Regina and I got to hang out. And I got to hang out with my mom and dad and my sister. So it was just a little foursome of us all together without any outside influences. And it was really nice. As in you, you're the outside influence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like the devil on your shoulder. <laughs> Always. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and you guys got to have the steak. Yeah, we had flank steak mm-hmm. and then... Um, I ate it. Cool, cool story, bro. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what else. I like that you're like trying to engage me, and no, I was I like, I've got. You, you guys to took say. the dogs to the park. Uh, we the went dog to the park, dog park, and Louise yeah. got. She went into the river because mm-hmm. she now likes water, but not swimming in it. Just up to her chest. Yeah, she just likes to cool down in it. Yeah, she's a hot dog. Yep, because she's got husky in her, so she gets hot, and she's black fur. So, yeah. yeah. So anyways, today's probably going to be a short episode, but maybe not. I don't know. Uh, we started back at school this week, uh, and it's been a wild ride. I have 50 kids in one of my classes, that's which a lot. is probably 20 too many, but yeah. that's, that is <laughs> that's what it is. That's our government for you. Yeah, so that's taking up a lot of uh, my evenings when I could be doing research. So I'm working on work stuff rather than... So just so you know, this uh, the quality of this podcast is going to suffer. <laughs> That's not true. I will be able to manage my time. Startup is always like just really busy. So anyways, yeah. And may- maybe if you're lucky every once in a while, I'll get to do one. You Hopefully. Know? The 50th yeah. episode, I guess you'll be doing. For sure. We're at 33 episodes. Damn. That, that, it seems like I've got a long time until 50, but like that 25th <laughs> snuck up on me and I was procrastinated the shit on that yeah, one. Yeah, you really did. And I like 
a couple days before we recorded i did the research yeah so Ooh, somebody was just saying they'd like to hear you do one yeah was yeah. it you probably <laughs> <laughs> i'm my biggest fan that's true um yeah so you might not be too pumped about the story you already said that it deals with world war ii and that's not Gross. your favorite topic uh but blade said we had to do it so we're gonna do it yeah so you can suck it up <laughs> okay so picture it okay it's april 30th 1943 just off the coast of spain Right in the midst of World War II. Hitler had just celebrated his birthday. Maybe. April 20th. Why do you know that? 420, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I just, uh, I don't know. It's a, just a thing I know. It's just a thing you know, because I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's so the historian he, here? Just, uh, apparently it's me. Like, uh, I know, uh, come to me for all your uh, Hitler-related factoids. Okay. You're a local sardine fisherman going about your day catching them fishes. Ooh, I like the. I I know you said you you like the way you wrote this, and I'm into it. It's putting me into a job that I would hate. Like, oh god, I'm so miserable. Continue. When you look across the water and you see something unusual floating in the ocean, what's that? You pull your boat up to it. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I just love it. Whew. You pull your boat up to it, and to your horror, you discover the decomposing bottle. Nope. Ah! <laughs> it's... There's no Coke in this bottle! <laughs> no! You discover the decomposing body of a British captain, the acting major, William Martin. <gasps> ah! No! I guess this means that I am the captain now. You look at his body a little more closely... And you see that looped around his belt is a chained military briefcase. You call the local authorities and they take the body to the city of Haluva. This is a Haluva discovery. Here it is placed in the possession of the Spanish military and you go back to your sardines. (laughs) Fuck, I hate my job. But what happened to the briefcase, you may ask? What, What happened to the briefcase? Well, the Spanish open it up and inside they find correspondence between two British generals. These letters spoke of the planned Allied invasion. So that's Great Britain, United States, Russia, and France, sort of. The planned invasion of Greece and Sardinia, which are two areas located in southern Europe on either side of Italy. And because the name was Sardinia, they called in their best man, Jack Thompson. What? Who is also me, because I catch sardines for a living. And they need me to go to Sardinia as their emissary. Er... That's true. Spain was meant to be a neutral party in World War II. However, they were known to sometimes work with the Germans. And in this case, they shared copies of the documents detailing the invasion of Sardinia and Greece with the Abwehr, which is the German military intelligence organization, before returning the originals to the British. Oh, and the British military at this time were desperate to get the body back into their hands, which makes sense considering it had top secret information about planned invasions. Hitler commanded that reinforcements be deployed to Greece and Sardinia, that these places must be defended at all costs, and that German troops would be the best place to do the job. By the end of June, German troop strength on Sardinia had been doubled to 10,000, with fighter aircraft also based there as more support. German torpedo boats were moved from Sicily to the Greek islands in preparation, and seven German divisions transferred to Greece as well. Then, on July 9th, the Allies commenced Operation Husky and their invasion of... Sicily. Wait, Sicily, you ask? Well, I I was actually going to ask, because Sicily sounds familiar. 
I thought they wanted to invade Greece and Sardinia. Oh, that's what I was going to ask, I guess, because you seem to be leading me to that. <laughs> well, Coda, my dear, <laughs> you too fell for that classic ruse of dressing up a dead tramp as a British captain, planning fake documents on him and tricking the Nazis into defending a territory that the British had no desire to invade. Gotcha, bitch. <laughs> That, I'm assuming that you wrote that in there because I wrote all of that in there. Yeah, no, no, it's good. I I like the especially the gotcha bitch. But let me tell you a tale about Jack Thompson and how I'm always following falling for that ruse. I'm constantly finding bodies that are what happened. Sorry, <laughs> they they they, they disguise this dude. As yeah, someone? so I'll, I'll explain it to you now. Cause... Okay, now that you gotcha me, bitch. Yes, I've always <laughs> wanted to do that. <laughs> Do you feel got? I feel got. You know, Jack Thompson, he rarely get. No, he always gets got. What am I saying? He's always falling for this ruse. So he's... Confused about his life. I'm trying to make him out like he's like Liam Neeson in Taken, but he's more like Phil Dunphy in Modern Family. <laughs> so Yeah. So Operation Mincemeat was a successful British deception operation that happened during the Second World War and was used to disguise the actual 1943 Allied invasion of Sicily, so not Sardinia. This operation has been called one of the most successful wartime deceptions ever achieved by History.com. What actually happened is a fun little tale of trickery and disguise that resulted in the smooth invasion of Sicily by the Allies. So let's get into it. On September 29th, soon after the start of World War II, a memo called the Trout Memo was circulated amongst the British generals and captains, comparing the deception of an enemy to fly fishing. The memo contained a number of schemes to be considered for use against the Axis powers. So that's Germany, Italy, and Japan. Scheme number 28 was titled A Suggestion, not a very nice one. They had 28 schemes? <laughs> or more, maybe. I'm not sure. But anyways. These were written down? They're yeah. like, ah, scheme 28. Yes. And this Trick called, Jack Thompson. This one's called a suggestion, but not a very nice one. Mm. Uh, it recommended planting misleading papers on a corpse that would be found by the enemy. The deliberate planting of fake documents to be found by the enemy was not new, and it was known as the Haversack Ruse. It had been practiced by the British and others in the First and Second World Wars. And in October 1942, British intelligence officer Charles Chumley, but this is weird because it's spelled like C-H-O-L-M-O-N-D-E. L-E-Y. So I was like, Cholmondele? But it's actually just Chumley because that's... <laughs> Hello, I am Cholamandi. Yeah, no, Chumley. <laughs> I am Chumley. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why it's said that way, but his name's Chumley. I feel like he, with a name like that, he should be the town drunk or something Maybe. like that. I'm Chumley. <laughs> so he outlined his vision of the Trout Memo plan and he codenamed it Trojan Horse. His plan was as follows, quote, A body is obtained from one of the London hospitals. The lungs are filled with water and documents are disposed in an inside pocket. The body is then dropped by a coastal command aircraft. On being found, the supposition in the enemy's mind may well be that one of our aircraft has either been shot or forced down and that this is one of their passengers. Initially, the plan was turned down as the up-and-ups thought that the plan was unworkable, but they thought that there may have been some potential in the idea. Chumley was assigned to work with another man, Ewan Montague, who was a naval representative. Mm, one of the... People from Romeo and Juliet, yes. I know it well. Yeah, so they were tasked with they were tasked with creating a better plan of that plan. I'm sorry, I can't help you out. I I am a Montague, and I must make sure that my son and that girl don't have sex. <laughs> it's the plot of Romeo and Juliet, right? Basically, yeah, I thought so. So why Sicily? 
Well, in 1942, the Allies had found success in the North African campaign. At this point, France was under control of the Axis, so they got taken over, and the British planners considered that an invasion of France from Britain could not take place until 1944. Prime Minister Winston Churchill wanted to use the Allied forces from North Africa to attack Europe's soft underbelly. So that would be like the Italy, Rome, Greece areas. Is that what they called it? Their soft and underbelly? That's what Churchill called it. Well, that's weird. There were two options to attack, the first being Sicily, as control of the island would open up the Mediterranean Sea to Allied shipping and allow the invasion of continental Europe through Italy. The second option was to go into Greece and the Balkans to trap the German forces between the British and American invaders and the Soviets. At the Casablanca conference in January 1942, Allied planners agreed on Sicily as their option for attack and codenamed it Operation Husky. They also decided that the invasion should occur no later than July. Many of the Allied planners were worried that the Axis powers would know immediately that they were planning to target Sicily. Churchill is reported to have said, Everyone but a bloody fool, and Dakota, would know that it's Sicily. What? And Dakota? Because I gotcha, bitch. Oh, you gotcha me, bitch, twice in one episode. I feel so gotcha, bitched. However, Hitler himself was more concerned about a Balkan invasion. For some reason, he was kind of, like, obsessed. Ah. <laughs> The Vulcans are coming. Balkan. <laughs> Come on. Star Trek? You you got it. You just didn't think it was funny. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. No, that he, was a great joke. You're welcome. Carry on. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I set you up for it? Gotcha, bitch. <laughs> you set me up. Um, He, for some reason, had it in his mind that that was where people would want to invade. Um, and he wasn't really willing to look at other places that invasions might happen. So mm. anyways, <laughs> like Hitler knows best. I so guess so. I feel like that could be like a children's story or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. So he saw it as an area uh, for invasion because it was a source of raw materials for the German war industry. And the allies knew this to heighten his fears of a Balkan invasion. The allies began another deception project by diverting resources from Sicily. This served to reinforce the German strategic thinking about the most likely British target being the Balkans. So what about this dead guy? Well, Montague and Chumley, the guys with the plan, met with a pathologist to figure out what kind of body they needed and what factors they would need to take into account to fool a Spanish pathologist. They learned that those who died in an air crash often did so from shock and not drowning, so the lungs of the body would not necessarily need to be filled with water. This meant that not only would they have a better degree of success than they previously thought, but there would be a larger number of corpses potentially available for selection when the time came. However, when Montague discussed the possibility of getting a corpse, he was told there would be practical and legal difficulties being told. Bodies are the only commodities not in short supply at the moment, but even with bodies all over the place, each one has to be accounted for. They would need to find a body that was suitable, with no relative who would claim the corpse for burial. I'm just leaving it. <laughs> burial. burial. I, I, so, listeners, I tried to say burial three times, and it kept coming out burial. Bu <laughs> so we're leaving it. <laughs> and on January 28th, 1943, that body was found. By Jack Thompson, sardine explorer. No, they found the dead body first before you, you found it. What? In January. Because you got to put it into the water. Oh. Son of a bitch. I thought Jack Thompson was the hero of this story. <laughs> He, he still is. The, he was named Glindweir Michael, and he was a tramp who had died from eating rat poison that contained phosphorus. It's not fully known why he ate this. 
Some suggest it may have been suicide, but it's also possible that he may simply have been desperately trying to scrounge up something to eat, as the particular poison he ingested was a paste smeared on bread crusts to attract rats. Yum. Montague and Chumley were told that the amount of poison in Michael's system was too small to be identified in his body. They agreed to keep the body in the mortuary refrigerator at a temperature of 4 degrees Celsius, because at any colder, the flesh would freeze, which would be obvious after the body was defrosted. They were warned that the body needed to be used within three months, because after that, it would be decomposed past the point of usefulness. So again, remember, they're planning to put it into the water to trick the Germans. And with that, the plan was a go. Montague selected the code name Mincemeat from a list of centrally held available possibilities. I feel like this guy who named it this is the ultimate guy who did the gotcha bitch. Because I feel like I've been got by this guy. (laughs) Why? Because... Operation Mincemeat sounds a lot cooler than what you're describing. What? This is fucking cool. (laughs) Is it? Yes! (laughs) Carry on. On February 4th, 1943, Montague and Chumley filed their plan for the operation as a reworking of the original Trojan horse plan. The Mincemeat operation was to place documents on the corpse and then float it off the coast of Spain, whose mostly neutral government was known to cooperate with the Abwehr. The plan was given the go-ahead, and Montague and Chumley were told to continue with their preparations for the operation. They began to create a legend, a fictitious background and character for the body. The name and rank chosen was Captain Acting Major William Martin of the Royal Marine. The name Martin was selected because there were several men with that name of about that rank in the Royal Marine. Also, as a Royal Marine, Major Martin was under something called Admiral Authority, thus making it easy to ensure that all official inquiries and messages about his death would pass through the Naval Intelligence Division. Additionally, Royal Marines wear battle dress, which were easy to get and come in standard size. So remember, they're like in a war, so it's hard to get extras of stuff. Finally, the rank of Acting Major made him senior enough to be trusted with sensitive documents, but not so prominent that anyone would expect to know him. To reinforce the impression that Martin was a real person, they added extra details to be carried on his person, known in espionage circles as wallet or pocket litter. These included a photograph from an invented fiancé named Pam, two love letters from her, and the receipt for a diamond engagement ring. I like the idea of them, like, somebody coming up with this guy's backstory and just going way too far, like, just, like, inventing so many things, like... Uh, like, what's his aunt's name from France? You know, like, what What if we need to know that? And they're like, no, it's it's fine. We don't need all this information. But, but, like, he needs a backstory, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like a real-life D&D game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Additional personal correspondence was included, consisting of a letter from the fictitious Martin's father. This letter included a note from the family solicitor and a message from Lloyd's bank demanding payment of an overdraft of 79 pounds. To ensure that the letters would remain legible after immersion in seawater, M15 scientists conducted tests on different inks to see which would last the longest in water. Other items of pocket litter placed on Martin include a book of stamps, a silver cross, and a St. Christopher's medallion, cigarettes, matches, a pencil stub, keys, and a receipt for a new shirt. To provide a date that Martin had been in London, ticket stubs from a London theatre and a bill for four nights lodging at the Naval and Military Club were added. Attempts were also made to photograph the corpse for the naval identity card Martin would have to carry, but the results were unsatisfactory, as it was obvious that those were images of a corpse. Montague and Chumley conducted a search for people who resembled the body and were successful. The cards and passes ended up looking pretty new, so as a workaround, they were issued as replacements for lost originals. 
Montague spent the next few weeks rubbing the cards on his trousers to provide a used sheen to them. <laughs> it's like a lot of effort that they're putting yeah, into this. Yeah, yeah, no, they're really, they're really going to the nines. I appreciate the effort that they're going to. It's very, uh, the word I wrote down was elaborate. Mm-hmm. To provide a used look to the uniform that the body would be found in, Chumley wore it around. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's just like, he's slowly becoming this guy. And he like, this backstory he created for this corpse, he like starts to believe that it's him. <laughs> Fuck, that's a story I want to hear. So do you want to know my favorite part about this? Yes. The only non-issue part of the uniform was the underwear, which was in short supply in war-rationed Britain. Okay. So a pair of good quality woolen underwear owned by a recently deceased man were used instead. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Okay. In terms of the fake documents that the Spanish were going to find, there were some criteria that needed to be adhered to. First, the document needed to contain details of the falsified plans to land in the Balkans. The target should be casually but clearly identified, and that it should name Sicily and another location as covers, not the actual intended invasion spot. It should be unofficial correspondence that would not normally be sent by diplomatic courier or encoded signal. The main document was a personal letter from Lieutenant General Sir Archibald Nye, the Vice Chief of the Imperial General Staff, who had a deep knowledge of ongoing military operations, and he was writing to General Sir Harold Alexander, commander of British and American troops in Algeria and Tunisia. It was suggested that Nye dry up the letter himself after they had originally made several attempts that didn't sound natural and weren't in Nye's tone or voice. The result, according to Montague, was quite brilliant. A single black eyelash was also placed within the letter in order to check if the Germans or Spanish had opened it. Montague decided to put the documents in an official briefcase rather than in the pockets of the body, as he was unsure if there would be possible Roman Catholic prejudice against tampering with corpses. So, because they're going, Spain was Roman Catholic at the time, and so he was worried that uh, the people doing the autopsy would be like, don't look through his pockets because that's bad. Oh, I see. The planning team first thought of having the handle clutched in the corpse's hand, held in place by rigor mortis, but the rigor would probably wear off and the briefcase would then drift away. They therefore equipped Martin with a leather-covered chain, such as was used by bank and jewelry couriers to secure their cases against snatching. The chain unobtrusively runs down a sleeve into the case. To Montague, it seemed unlikely that the major would keep the bag secured to his wrist during the long flight from Britain, so the chain was looped around the belt of his trench coat. The body was supposed to be the victim of an airplane crash, and it was decided that to try and stimulate the accident at sea using flares and other devices would be too risky and open to discovery. After seaplanes and service ships were dismissed as being problematic in order to drop off the body, a submarine was chosen as the method of delivering the corpse to the region. On April 13, 1943, it was decided that the plan should proceed pending approval from Winston Churchill. John Bevan, who was in charge of planning and coordination of deception operations, met with Churchill, who, it is said, was in his bed at the time, wearing a dressing gown and smoking a cigar, and he was explained the plan. He warned Churchill that there were several aspects that could go wrong, including that the Spaniards might pass the corpse back to the British with the papers unread. What about them worrying if Jack Thompson figures this out? <laughs> because I'm surprised Jack Thompson didn't see through the ruse. I Well... We learned that he was not great at that. Because he was a sardine fisherman? That's really classist of you. Sorry. Churchill replied that, in that case, we shall have to get the body back and give it another swim. (laughs) Thus, in the early hours of April 17th, 1943, the corpse of Michael was dressed as William Martin, although there was one last-minute hitch. The feet were frozen. Oh, okay. And they could not get the boots on him. So an electric fire was located and the feet defrosted enough to put the boots on properly. Okay, okay. 
The pocket litter was placed on the body and the briefcase attached. So now, as you know, the body was found by the Spanish and given over to a naval judge in Haluva. The British vice consul in Spain was also officially notified, and he reported back to the British that the body and the briefcase had been found. A series of pre-scripted diplomatic cables were sent between the vice consul and his superiors, which continued for several days, making the Germans believe it. The British knew that these were being intercepted, and although they were encrypted, the Germans had broken the code. The message played out the story that it was imperative to retrieve the briefcase as it contained important documents. On May 1st, the Spanish performed an autopsy on Michael's body, for which the vice consul was present, and in order to minimize the possibility of having two Spanish doctors discovering that the body was a three-month-old corpse, he asked that if in the heat of the day and because of the smell of the corpse, if the doctors should bring the autopsy to a close and have lunch. <laughs> okay. They agreed, and they signed a death certificate for Major William Martin, saying asphyxiation through immersion in the sea. The body was released by the Spanish, and Martin was buried in Haluva Cemetery with full military honors. The Spanish Navy, however, kept the briefcase, and despite pressure from the Germans, neither it nor its contents were given to the Abwehr. Instead, on May 5th, in the process of moving back to Madrid, the case was stopped in San Fernando, and there its contents were photographed by German sympathizers. However, the letters were not open until it made its way back to Madrid. There, its contents became the focus of attention of Carl Eric Kulenthal, one of the most senior Abwehr agents in Spain. He was able to get the Spanish to work with him, and the Spanish removed the still damp paper by tightly winding it around a probe into a cylindrical shape and then pulling it out between the envelope flap, which was still closed by a wax seal, and the envelope body. The letters were dried and photographed, then soaked in salt water for 24 hours before being reinserted into their envelopes, without, however, the eyelash that had been planted there. The information contained in these letters was then passed up the German command. This information was actually deemed so important that Kuhnthal personally delivered the information to Germany. Finally, the British got the briefcase back, and upon receipt, the documents were forensically examined and the missing eyelash noted. Further tests showed that the fibers in the paper had been damaged by folding more than once, which confirmed that the letters had been extracted and read. An additional test was made as the papers, still wet by the time they returned to London, were dried out. They found the folded paper dried into the rolled form it had when the Spanish extracted it from the envelope. To alleviate any potential German fears that their activities had been discovered, another prearranged encrypted but breakable code was sent to the vice council stating that the envelopes had been examined but they had not been opened. The final confirmation came when the British intercepted a coded German message warning of a Balkan invasion. Damn Balkans. This was conveyed to Churchill by a message reading... Mincemeat swallowed rod, line, and sinker by the right people, and from the best information, they look like acting on it. And Churchill said, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Who wrote this? <laughs> on May 14th, the German Grand Admiral met with Hitler to discuss next actions. <laughs> well, now we better start planning your 41st birthday, Hitler. <laughs> the Admiral, referring to the mincemeat documents as the Anglo-Saxon order, stated... The Führer does not agree with Mussolini that the most likely invasion point is Sicily. Furthermore, he believes that the discovered Anglo-Saxon order confirms the assumption that the planned attacks will be directed mainly against Sardinia and the Peloponnesus, which is Greece. What that means is that Mussolini, the Italian leader at the time, still believed the British were going to invade Sicily, while Hitler, blinded by his belief that the Balkans were the most vulnerable, did not. Hitler informed Mussolini that Greece, Sardinia, and Corsica must be defended at all costs, and that German troops would be best placed to do the jobs, meaning not Italian. <laughs> I, I I can't even think of a joke related to this. I'm just like, just like, just 
she's not Italian, you know? Like, you know? (laughs) By the end of June, German troop strength on Sardinia had been doubled. Then on July 9th, the Allies invaded Sicily in Operation Husky. And even then, for four hours after the initial invasion, German troops were still being moved from Sicily to Sardinia. For a considerable time after the initial invasion, Hitler was still convinced that an attack on the Balkans was imminent, and in late July, he sent one of his generals to prepare the defense of the region. But by the time the German high command actually realized the mistake, it was too late to make a difference. In the end, Mussolini was removed from his position of prime minister by the Italian Grand Council of Fascism and King Victor Emmanuel, and was then imprisoned. A new Italian government took power and began secret negotiations with the Allies. The Italians had their last laugh. They did. Sicily fell on August 17th after a force of 65,000 Germans held off 400,000 American and British troops long enough to allow many Germans to evacuate to the Italian mainland. Although the British had expected 10,000 killed or wounded in the first week of fighting, only a seventh of that number became casualties. The Navy expected that 300 ships would be sunk in action, but they lost only 12 and the predicted 90-day campaign was over in 38. Montague and Chumley received numerous accolades for their part and planning of the deception. So, Coda, what do you think? Well, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> what? Okay, the- but okay, but go, okay, 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 okay. So now just imagine that you're watching like some spy movie where this is happening and I you're like, woo, tr- I was trying to, but like, you didn't even talk about Jack Thompson that much. He's, he's not a real person. He just went back to his uh, sardine You're going to confuse the listeners. He doesn't exist. He's not a person. He is to me, okay? But I want to break this down a little bit. I, I I love the way that you started out by the way you were delivering the story. I really like that. When you said that you were like, that's how you're, you're writing it and you're really proud of it. I, I props to you. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Um, uh, so I wish that would have continued continued more throughout it because I really like that that way because I was like close my eyes and oh. I was like picturing it you were like picture this and I was like yeah I'm picturing it and then it got into history stuff where it was just like then this happened and this happened and this happened I'm like I'm trying to follow this but at the same time I'm thinking about Shang Chi and stuff like that so like if I were to write all of our episodes like that I would probably need two weeks between each episode mm, okay that's fair but. Not every episode needs to be written like that. I'm just saying because this one was focused on World War Two, which I you started with hate. your pre yeah bias, but, but but also I was uh, Operation Mincemeat. I was like, ooh, that sounds cool. And this I was just... a fucking cool story. Thank you, Blade. Dakota's lame. Yeah, he's not going to be happy how low I'm going to rate this. But this is a f- you. You're gonna. I didn't feisty. even know. I didn't even know about this story. Really? I'm very thankful that I got to learn about it because I think yeah. it's so fucking cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad. So I will say the positives were well, one. I love the way you delivered it. So like the way you delivered. Does he never have anything to do with this story? That's why I'm giving it two different ratings. So the way you delivered it was uh, like the the storytelling way. Uh, solid eight point five right there. I, I really like that. You know, um, I really felt like I was Jack Thompson and such a spanish name jack thompson yeah and i also feel like jack thompson is a character in something because like that feels like who is jack thompson yes did you learn anything yeah i learned that uh during the time of world war ii that they are they were way more thoughtful about things than i thought uh for some reason i just think in olden olden times i'm like oh they didn't know fucking oh he's in marvel 
Jack Thompson. Who is he's he? He's a fictional character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He was a decorated lieutenant of the United States Army who fought in World War II. So it's like weird that you kind of like what character did like is Jack he Thompson a, is he a hero? He or is. He talks to Peggy Carter. Okay. He talks. He hangs out with Howard Stark. I think he's in maybe I don't know. He might. That's weird because like that was just in my mind. So I bet it. I probably was pulling that out from Marvel. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. Um, when I when I think about like the olden days, I think of things in a way that I'm like a. Like, the way that, that that they did this autopsy and the way they thought about everything, it seemed a lot more advanced than I would have thought. Mm-hmm. It seemed like they were, like I, like I wrote, elaborate, like, in the way that they, their thought, uh, thought process was. Yeah, because and... I would just be like, let's just throw this body in the ocean, put the briefcase. But they're like, nah, they're going to be like, does he have a backstory? Yeah, Jack Thompson definitely would have fucking caught you. He would have. Uh, um, but uh, I thought it was, I thought that was cool that it was the length they went through you know plan this ruse is very thoughtful and yeah i just thought that was good uh but but it, it has a lot of the trappings that just a history story has which is just like the, all these details that i'm like i'm trying to follow and my brain just doesn't follow. like no. what details well the, the the thing is if you were to ask me describe what you just told me i could tell you that uh they did all this stuff to this body, this dead body, to trick someone into believing something. That's all I can tell you. Your brain, like, literally turns off. It's like, history, yeah. no. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, because I couldn't tell you what exactly you just told me. So they're tricking Hitler into thinking that Britain is going to invade Sardinia instead right. of Sicily. Right. Okay. There you go. I couldn't have told you that. <laughs> and uh, that's just the way my, my brain works. And it's I, a good I, thing this isn't for you. Yeah. I I hope Lexi and Troy enjoy this as well as Blade. Blade's <laughs> going to be pissed at me. But, like, come on. With Operation Mincemeat? Eh, that, that, I thought it was sound... going to be about pie. <laughs> Why? Yeah, mincemeat pie. Mincemeat oh. is actually not well, But meat. human. But, 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 mincemeat but... is like a... It's not meat. Yeah, it's human, right? No, mince- oh. <laughs> you're thinking of Johnny Depp. What? No. <laughs> In um the barber of whatever. Oh, yeah. Um did he do that? It's a mixture of chopped dried fruit, distilled spirits and spices and sometimes beef. But <laughs> sometimes. not usually. It's usually mostly just dried fruit, so not, not even meat. Not even meat. But like like so what you say there about being about pie? It would have been a cooler story if it was cannibals. If it was about them making humans into pie, okay? Okay. So I'm just like I know trying to keep you're the just, you're, you're rating just, as far away as possible. I know you're just delaying this. It's it's not good, uh, <laughs> and it's just the content isn't there for me. I know a lot of people are probably going to enjoy that. I think they are. Um, but I give this five. What the. F- Gotcha bitches out of ten. Five? Five. Is that worse than Blade? you thought? Blade? I really didn't like this one. Blade? This might be our worst rating yet. <laughs> Blade? Five! You're so insulted. <laughs> that was not a five, listeners. That was not a five. Wow. Take a, take a criticism. I don't even know what it was out of anymore. I just heard five and I blacked out. Five gotcha bitches oh. out of ten. Okay? <laughs> and, and I got gotcha bitched three times in this episode two by you and then 
by whoever did this and called it Operation Mincemeat and fucked Montague. me. Yeah, Montague fucked me, okay? He did, he did. So, I am deeply sorry. That was even worse than my Four Horsemen episode. Yes. So, I I, I am sorry, because I always feel bad giving you a bad rating. I don't think you do. I do. I do feel, honestly, giving you a five was really hard for me, especially no, seeing it. Yes, it was. Because you take this a lot more seriously than I... <laughs> I because history's my passion. Find a better passion. No. Um. So... Yeah, it just just wasn't for me, and I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all I got. Well, there you have it, listeners. You got to pick better episodes for me to do research on because I listen to you, and then I get a five, Blade. Yep. Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please download our podcast from Apple, Spotify, or Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can leave a review or tell your friends about us because indie podcasts really grow through word of mouth. And if you want to stay in contact or see behind the scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian or on Facebook at The Reluctant Historian Podcast. And side note, I'm also going to be taking over the Instagram. So I'm going to try to do different things there and I'm just going to run us into the fucking ground. You can also shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted. And you can email us at thereluctanthistorian at gmail.com. So, we'll see you next week. Same time, same place. I wonder how Hitler celebrated his birthdays. Hmm.